0: The truth, truth, the whole truth, truth, and nothing nothing but the the truth. truth. So help us, God. God. Welcome to The Four Persons, Inc., an official charity recognized under federal tax code 501c3. Tune in for the next hour to learn about our mission and how you can help. We will also give you some recent highlights, a tour of all the ways to get our content and what coming events to look forward to. Let's do it! The Four Persons, Inc. is a federally registered and licensed 501c3 charity. Any use of any of our content without our permission is prohibited by law. Our purpose is evangelization, education, and social action. Please go to our website at thefourpersons.com or our blog site at thefourpersons.net to make your tax-deductible donation by credit or debit card. You can also send a check to The Four Persons, Inc., P.O. Box 11214, Manassas, Virginia, 20113. To contact us, send us an email at email at the fourpersons.com. And now let's welcome the founder and director of The Four Persons, Inc., ladies and gentlemen. We are pleased to welcome John Benko. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to
1: The Four Persons. I want to give you a quick rundown of the website so you know where to find what you're looking for. When you go to thefourpersons.com, go all the way to the right and you'll see the menu link. Click on that. On the radio show blog, that's where you'll see the latest and upcoming shows that will be available. If you want to go directly to the radio site page, go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash the four And there is a link to the blog talk radio page on the site. There's also a link to our print blog, which is thefourpersons.net, our Apologetics Library, our YouTube channel, and our Twitter page. Please familiarize yourself with all of those. The Apologetics Library is a very useful set of folders that you can pull all kinds of Apologetics information out of, YouTube channel for our videos, and Twitter page for updates from time to time.
0: And now it's time for the director's cut. This is John Benko's monologue that may not necessarily always reflect all of the personal opinions of all of the members of this apostolate.
1: Before I go into my actual monologue today, the first thing that I want to show you is a production version of something that we debuted a while back i wrote the lyrics to this and gave them to lisa marie nicole to record this as our show theme song so all that the original production had was just a little bit of a kick to keep time acoustic guitar and her vocals simple vocals recorded in her garage it was very very simple plain recorded in mono since then i've separated the high of the track from the low part of the track and created a true stereo effect enhanced the vocals added an uh, electric guitar effect added drums added bass guitar and created a fully produced version that I think is uh, well I just think it's great and so I want to let you hear it right now here is the new fully produced version of the Four Persons theme song. I have said before and I will say again that the keys to unlocking the true mystery of being a Christian come down to two very simple things obedience and humility. Now I can almost see the collective eye roll and hear the derisive taunts now. If you think obedience and humility are so easy why aren't you perfect yet? Someone might ask. Well I didn't say they were easy, I said they were simple. In fact in many ways they are so difficult because they are simple. Simple is a word from the Latin simplus or simplex and it's a word that conveys a lack of complexity. In terms of persons, simple come to mean straightforward, direct, prank, without guile or pretense. The concepts of humility and obedience is, in fact, very simple. Anyone can understand them, even the most uneducated person. Understanding humility and obedience is, because of its simplicity, quite easy. On the other hand, actually Being humble and obedient is quite a different matter. Simple and easy are not the same thing. Let me give an example. A very simple car would not have power steering, power windows, power brakes, cruise control, GPS, cameras, satellite radio, air conditioning, or automatic transmission. All of these things are complexities added to what a car used to be to make it easier and more pleasant to drive. The first car is simple, but it certainly wouldn't be easy. The car is far more complex with more things to break down, more costs to maintain, and so forth transplant someone from the 1920s into one of our modern cars and they wouldn't know where to start. However, you'd be just as lost trying to get around in that Model T, wouldn't you? Driving today without GPS, power steering, and air conditioning is more of a sacrifice than many of us would be willing to make. Thus, going back to simple is not easy. It is the same with the persons we are. Just as all these innovations have made us forget what a simple vehicle is, the complexities of life have made us lose touch with the simple persons we were as children. Yet, Jesus said you must become like a child again to enter into heaven. Of course, the world today is not a safe place for a child, so this could have bad connotations that make this even more difficult or person whose childhood is wrought with trauma. Concepts such as surrender and obedience have terrifying overtones to say the least. Pride, aggression and other defense mechanisms become part of our survival arsenal and it is hard to trust. Even trusting God is difficult for those who feel that God wasn't there for them when they needed Him. Why? didn't God stop the monsters? I have been asked this question and was unable to provide a suitable answer. Like I said, simple, but not easy. We can take solace in the fact that God, though he did not promise us safety and comfort in his life, did promise us eternal life to anyone so long as they love and seek him with their whole heart their whole mind, their whole soul, and their whole strength. Those are the four persons upon which we base this apostolate. Do we always get it right? Do I always get it right? Of course not. My heart is often racked with heartbreak and regret, my mind with anxieties and problems to be solved, my soul with temptations and doubts, and my strength at the breaking point. In other words, I, like you, suffer from the human condition, an exile, in this valley of tears. The answers are often fleeting, and the road dark and difficult, yet in that darkness there are no distractions, and so I can keep my eyes on the difficult road rather than on past or future horizons. Simple, hard, but simple trust, humility, obedience. That is the narrow way that leads to life. How about we hear some more music? This piece right here was written, created, performed, and produced by our own Terry Dell.
2: we yeah. 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 That's why I'm in my mind.
3: Thank mm-hmm. you.
0: new lineup on the four persons radio show your online catholic alternative on blog talk radio seven days a week at 3 p.m eastern it's the divine mercy chaplet and saint of the day with richard pettys the rest of the sunday schedule will be open and flexible mondays at 7 p.m will feature the luke haskell show with that great apologist tuesdays are another flex schedule Wednesdays at 7 p.m., it's Catholicism Rocks with John Benko, Hack Gist, and Judson Carroll. Thursdays at 6.30 p.m., it's the Taking It to the Streets show with Terry Dill. Fridays at 7 a.m., it's the Catholic Ken Apologetic show with Ken Litchfield, and Saturdays at noon, it's the Burnt Toast and Coffee show with William Hemsworth. That's a lineup no one can beat. Something big is about to hit the four persons.
4: No, you
0: The month of October kicks off with a bang with the debut of the Lisa Marie Nicole show Rocking for God. The preview show on October 3rd includes the debut of her brand new single and then on the first Saturday in October, the Feast of Our Lady of the Rosary, October 7th, Lisa will be here with her primetime interview of EWTN evangelist and speaker Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Rocking for God with Lisa Marie Nicole, exclusively on the Four Persons Network. A lot of exciting stuff has happened since our last update. Let's catch some of the highlights. On September 8th, our blessed lady's birthday, John Benko was the guest on Ken Litchfield's program where we tackled listener questions. Let's hear some highlights.
5: So let's move on to the next one here. This comes from a guy named Scott, and he says, <laughs> Can you show us how your Cult is God's church using the definition of God's church in 1 Timothy 3 verses 4 through 5. Um, you know, Protestants will often throw out uh, a few verses of the Bible and, and say, See, this thing is not in your church, or something like that. So let's read what 1 Timothy 3 4 through 5 says. Mm-hmm. He must manage his own household well keeping his children submissive and respectful in every way. For if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how can he care for God's church? So this, of course, is an attack on the Catholic Church because in the Roman Rite, we don't have married priests generally. There are some Roman Rite Catholic priests that are married, but almost all of them are not. Mm Mm-hmm. So it may surprise you, I I say to Scott, that the Catholic Church does allow married priests. It is not the standard practice in the Roman or Latin rite, but the 22 Eastern rites of the Catholic Church do allow married clergy. Catholic clergy know about running a household through the household they were brought up in. They also run the household of an entire parish. At the time that uh, the Apostle Paul wrote, um, oh, yeah, at the time that the single and not married Apostle Paul wrote 1 Timothy, there were not a lot of single men waiting to become deacons, priests, or bishops. And that's an important point. The Apostle Paul was single, so if you have to be married to be a minister in the church, Paul wouldn't qualify. Paul wouldn't qualify to be a minister in any Protestant church <laughs> these days.
1: <laughs> and and not, not only is we'll, we'll take not, writing, not only would Paul we'll not qualify. <laughs> yeah, not only would Paul not qualify, but according to their interpretations of those verses, Paul is writing to Timothy disqualifying himself.
5: Mm-hmm. Right. And Timothy is also unmarried, so he's not qualified either. Right. So Paul gave Timothy the practical advice so that he could work with the men he had. Um, Jesus and Paul tell us that celibacy is the better way. Most Catholic clergy are free to put their church family first. They don't have to choose between a church event and their child's event. A local Catholic church does not have to provide as much money for a single priest as it does for a minister and his family. Also, a Catholic priest has the freedom to teach the truth of the Catholic faith without worrying his congregation will fire him for teaching something they don't believe. Some Catholic clergy are married, but most are Anglican converts. In the Orthodox Church, priests can marry but bishops are required to be celibate. God wants Christians to marry and multiply, but clergy are called to a higher state of life, as Jesus and Paul explain. Anything more you want to add? Yeah, um,
1: well, first of all, Paul and as you said, Paul himself was celibate. And Paul talked about talked about this very, very clearly. He said marriage was a was a good thing. And marriage is a blessed thing in the Catholic churches. It's raised to the level of a a sacrament. But Paul himself said that some people will not be able to be married and be ministers of the church because the married man is worrying about the needs of his wife, how he may please her, while the man of God is worrying about the things of God and how he may please God. Now, these are Paul's words. These are not my words. All right? All right. But if you don't want to listen to Paul, listen to Jesus because Jesus himself was single. And Jesus Himself said that some will be eunuchs by their choice for the kingdom. That some people will choose to be celibate for the kingdom. These are Jesus words. All right. I want mm-hmm. to start with the preface of the question. Alright. This is what we this is what we call a an ad-hom question, a triggered question, a circular question. Tell us how your cult justifies itself according to this verse. So the the conclusion that we're a cult is in the premise of the question. It's not an honest mm-hmm. question. When somebody phrases a question like that, okay, it like me saying to, to Ken, uh, Ken, tell me how stupid people like you know anything about cars. Right. <laughs> if I were to say that to Ken, he's not really going to take my question very, very seriously. He's not going to give me his best answer because he knows I don't want to hear it. I'm not
0: ready to hear it. Apologist William Hemsworth has been doing a very exciting multi-episode study on the Didache, K, a kind of first century catechism of the Catholic Church. This is really important education. Let's listen to part of episode one.
6: So the first section is called the two ways and basically it talks about christian theology, morality and conduct. And so uh, catechumens for example were instructed in in what the dedicate taught before they were baptized. The second section deals with administration of the sacraments, like I said like baptism, uh, the eucharist and even the um, anointing of the sick. The third section discusses relations among christians. It offers instruction on different types of hospitality. It also gives insight into the hierarchy of the early church, um, which included bishops, deacons, and, and so forth. So we're going to be diving into some stuff that you're going to see is very Catholic. Now, I just want to say this. The last section, it's very brief, is on the end times. And this is important because the Didache was written before the book of Revelation. Uh, Because the the book of Revelation, as you may know, wasn't universally included in the canon until much later on. Um, Like I said, it's a manual for Christian living. living. Even today, we can get so much out of this little book today um, because it includes... Easily understood pieces of wisdom, pieces of instruction. I mean, it's just a fantastic book. And and to be honest, my friends, I didn't hear, when I was a Protestant, I never heard about the Didache until I took uh, some church history classes at Liberty University when I was in their seminary. And when you read the Didache, and when you read the Didache as a Protestant, you're going to see things that you're not familiar with. And so that begs the question, my friends, when I was searching for truth, and I came across the Church Fathers, and then I came across the Didache, what church is doing these things that are described in this short book? I was I want to ask that question right off the bat. Now, the Didache was actually lost for a while. Um around 1075 it was lost to history. But then in 1875 a uh, a Greek Orthodox metropolitan rediscovered it in a library um and thank God he did. Now we have these valuable pieces of wisdom and this glimpse into the early church. All right. So, um Chapter 1 of the Didache is called The Teaching of the Two Ways. And I'm just going to go verse by verse through this. Um, So I'm going to give the verse numbers. That way, if you want to look it up, you can. So chapter 1, verse 1 says this. There are two ways, one of life and one of death. And there is a great difference between the two ways. Now, uh, we may look at this and be like, um, duh obviously there's a great difference here now understand the time in which the didache is being written all right this is the first century philosophy was a big deal and in my opinion should be made a big deal again today because it teaches people how to think and how to reason but um Basic teaching. There's a right way to do things. There is a wrong way of do things. And so the teaching of the two ways has its roots in the Jewish tradition. should come as no surprise to us Christians, especially as Catholics, because the first Catholics, the first Christians, were Jewish. And so the first apostles had Jewish backgrounds. So this should come of no surprise if this was an oral tradition that was handed down And eventually written down. All right. So parallels to this teaching of the two ways are found in a couple um, early church books that kind of developed independently from another. And if you haven't read these two books, I recommend you do. Uh, One of them is the Epistle of Barnabas. And another one is the Shepherd of Hermas. Now, the Shepherd of Hermas was actually included as part of the New Testament in some early codexes. Now, of course, as as the church, was, moved, which was moved by the Holy Spirit, um, was deciding which books belonged, they, were in, they, were, they weren't included in the canon, but really, there's some great things in there that we could learn about Christian living.
0: Luke Haskell and John Benko have been doing a fascinating study of the entire Gospel of Matthew. Great stuff. Let's listen in on one of the episodes. Matthew was focusing his gospel uh
7: on the Jewish community, community and uh also on the uh, uh most likely the, the the Jewish church those who are baptized into the church and he's also kind of focusing on on uh the idea of the union between uh the, this uh the Jews and the Greeks in, in the family of God mm-hmm. and it's written in the Greek uh, language, but uh, it, uh, and not in the Greek language, but the Jewish language. Uh, also, I would like to begin by placing in the mind of our audience some words of Rabbi Israel Zoli. Uh, Abber, uh, uh, Rabbi Israel Zoli was around in the uh, time of World War II, and he was the the bishop of, uh, or the uh, Rabbi of Rome back then, and. Uh, he uh, had some really keen insights on things. And uh, his study uh, led him into the Catholic Church. So this comes from an article uh, from the Associated Press back then, uh, written by George Bria. And uh, he writes, when the good rabbi was asked why he had given up the synagogue for the church, he gave an answer that showed he had a keen understanding of his present position. When he asked why he had given up his Jewish faith for Christianity, he responded. But I have not given it up. Christianity is the integration, completion, or the crown of the synagogue. For the synagogue was a promise, and Christianity is the fulfillment of that promise. The synagogue pointed to Christianity. Christianity presupposes the synagogue. So you see, one cannot exist without the other. What I converted to was living Christianity." When he was asked why he did not join one of the Protestant denominations, he responded, because protesting is not a testing. I do not intend to embarrass anyone by asking why wait 1,500 years to protest. The Catholic Church was recognized by the whole Christian world as the true church of God for 15 consecutive centuries. No man can halt at the end of those 1,500 years and say that it is not the, the true church of Christ without embarrassing himself seriously. I can accept only that church, which was preached to all creatures by my own forefathers, the twelve apostles, who, like me, issued from the synagogue. I am convinced that after this war, the only means of withstanding the forces of destruction and of undertaking the reconstruction of Europe will be the acceptance of Catholicism, That is to say, the idea of God and of human brotherhood through Christ, not a brotherhood based on race and supermen. For there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither bond nor free, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. I was Catholic at heart before the war broke out, and I promised God in 1942 that I should become a Christian if I survived the war. No one in the world ever tried to convert me. My conversion was a slow evolution. Altogether internal. Years ago, unknown to myself, I gave such an intimately Christian form and character to my writings that an Archbishop of Rome said of my book, The Nazarene, everyone is susceptible of errors. But so far, I, uh, as I can see, as a bishop, I could sign my name to this book. I'm beginning to understand that for many years I was a natural Christian. If I had noticed the fact 30 years ago, what has happened now would have happened then.
1: Yeah, and I want to emphasize a couple of things that Luke said there that I think are very, very important to open this up. First of all, that's what the Gospel of Matthew is about. That's the essential theme of the Gospel, gospel of Matthew, is that Matthew, uh, easily the most meticulous of the four Gospel writers, is almost like building a case, he's building a court case. In fact, I, I think there's, if I remember correctly, there's over a hundred references to the Old Testament that Matthew meticulously shows as fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The other theme that Luke said that I want to emphasize is that Matthew, we have strong reason, to believe was originally written in Aramaic. And i give you two examples. In Matthew 16, jesus refers to peter as simon bar jonah that is simon son of jonah that's aramaic and then in matthew 27 we see jesus crying out from the cross eloi eloi lama sabachthani that is my god my god why have you forsaken me again aramaic so we have reason to believe that this book was originally written in aramaic uh, targeting the Jewish audience, and then later converted into Greek. And to kind of emphasize this point of who this was targeted at and how this is telling the story about Jesus' as the fulfillment well, with a genealogy. And I think now would be a good time for me to make a, a few comments about the genealogy that are fascinating, and then we'll kick it off I'll kick off the next part from there with, with Luke's answers. And uh, affirming the connection of Christ to Israel is Matthew's aim. He helps us to understand the genealogy that starts off the gospel. The Collegeville Bible Commentary keenly points out that the genealogy is usually traced through the fathers. And indeed, this one starts in that fashion. But it starts with Abraham not with Adam. So, Matthew is not taking the genealogy all the way to Adam because he's focusing on Jesus' connection to the Jewish people, to to the nation of Israel. Matthew is clearly emphasizing Jesus' lineage in the nation of Israel, and this lineage shows the line from Father Abraham through all the other fathers. But curiously, it shakes the whole thing up by including four women. And that's very unusual, very irregular. And it's really irregular when you consider who the four women are that are included in the genealogy. Let's take a look at them. First, we have Tamar. Tamar conceived by her father-in-law, Judah, by tricking him into thinking she was a prostitute. Then we have Rahab. Rahab actually was a prostitute and her life was spared because of her cooperation with the spies of Joshua. And the tradition that she was the mother of Boaz is something that's only found in the Gospel of Matthew. Then we find Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite. She was a foreigner, but she's joined to Israel through her husband's family. And finally, we have the wife of Uriah. Who of course is Bathsheba and David committed adultery with her and had her husband killed. Bathsheba amazingly enough though became the first queen mother an office that is a clear typology of Mary the mother of Jesus. We've got lots of great show highlights still to come and we hope you'll hang on to listen to them. Let's take a diversion right now with another song from Terry Delp.
2: A certain man had two sons. The youngest said to him, Father, give me the portion of inheritance that falleth unto me, and he divided unto them his living. The youngest son gathered all of his possessions and went to a far country, and there wasted all of his money on wild parties. After spending everything, there arose a mighty famine in the land. Starving, he was able to only to get a job feeding swine. He was so hungry, he'd gladly have eaten that slot. I ran away from home. Traveled alone down the dark road. My soul tried it on my own. Home to sin. Never thought I'd see you again. This evil within just would not relent. Being the aggression, stressing, wandering. Knew you were the best when in the desert. Wandering, pondering, why, Spiritual suicide. Took a look inside, realized that. Surprise, pride me from coming back to you, even though I knew in your mercy you renew my life, thought twice, A moments, hesitation, On no wisdom got me living in spirit, Ritual salvation, in my hunger I fell under the wicked one's spell, got on a ship to sail, on a one-way trip to hell, man overboard I fell to my knees when I remember the glory of your presence, would allow me to re-enter himself. He said, how many of my father's servants have more than enough food? And yet I'm here about to die of starvation. I will go to my father and I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please just make me as one of your hired servants. And so he went to his father. On my knees, begging please, a million apologies, Listen chronologically, no excuse for the life I lead on, dead cause he bled, became sin for a sinner, gave his life for a loser so I could be a winner, when I call on his name, but it's not the same, Say my soul so I'm the blame for jumping back in the game, was I insane, the devil had the last say, not that easy, I chose a way, now I'm broken, I betrayed my Lord, my Savior, Son of God, Jesus Christ, even though I left you, please come back into my life, cry tears of shame, get back up, cause I'm not giving up, no way, this fight, gotta be fought, not worthy to be your son, just allow me to serve you, make me the lowest one, cause I know I don't deserve you, your place in your kingdom full is torn and tattered, so let fall Walking like a giant, now I'm crawling back home. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him in the distance, and he had great compassion on him, and he ran to him, hugging him with joy. The son said to him, He said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, He said, Put the best clothes on him, the family ring upon his hand, and shoes upon his feet. Let us make a great feast and rejoice, for this my son, he was dead, and now he is alive. He was lost, but now, now he is found.
0: Sherry Mallorca recently appeared to discuss some of the latest happenings at Catholicism Rocks. Let's hear it.
8: Log into the website of Catholicism Rocks, and they can find there the form and uh, the details on how to join in this Halloween contest. This is uh, from the Catholic's perspective of the Halloween costume, and this is about writing a story and uh, making it published also and there will be a winner that will be published in the website
0: terry Delp, our feature musician of the day is getting it done on his feature program as well here are some highlights from a recent episode of taking it to the streets an update on prison ministry um
9: uh dick and denny are you on i'm here yeah yeah can you tell us uh, Tell us what's going on down there in Houston. Yeah, yeah. We've got really some good news. We have, uh, uh, we just got, uh, well, I think the last time we were talking about that, we had the Kobe village. We got 10 acres of land that were donated to our, um, to the Kobe house. Uh, and uh, what the plan was for the 10 acres was to build a village, uh, a, a transitional facility in the form of a village on this 10 acres and it would be, um, the, uh, property would be, there'd be a Catholic faith-based, uh, transitional facility for, uh, Oh, 40, 50 guys. And, uh, we did get the property, uh, and where it has been donated to us. And then uh, now the next thing was to get the uh, Texas department of criminal justice to recognize this and approve us as a transitional facility. So we we um, we got that uh, permission to do that last uh, about a week ago Monday. So we're now an official approved Texas, Texas Department of Criminal Justice uh, transitional facility, and the property currently has one uh, two bedroom trailer on it. And uh, but the more important thing is it's got a big well on it, it's got a big drinking water well, six hundred fifty five foot well, and that makes it uh, the whole uh, place uh, workable. It's in a dense forest and it's a uh a beautiful area you, get, you drive up to it and you drive through a cattle ranch out on the prairie it's 100 degrees but once you get in the forest it's 80 degrees it's uh, just a beautiful oh, thing wow. it's god's creation <clears throat> so uh, our plan is uh well, well first we'll put people in the um, first put people in the uh, uh the two-bedroom uh mobile home we already have one guy that's assigned to it and he will uh, uh he'll be joining us probably by by next couple weeks. We'll finally get him. He's been sitting waiting for an address to to uh, parole to for almost two years. And so finally, he's got the address and he's ready to move in and we're we're all excited about getting him. He'll be our first one. But then once we get the uh, the mobile home filled out, then the next project building project there will be a build a great big uh, we're gonna build a big chapel, a big chapel, hold a hundred people and it'll have uh, uh, nice steeple on it. It'll be, uh, uh, basically the centerpiece of the, the village. Uh, then after that, the, then the buildings just start to come together. We're gonna use, um, uh, we use these double wide, uh, uh, four bedroom homes, modular homes. Put about five of them on the property. And then the behind that will be 12, uh, tiny homes that'll be hermitages. And we're gonna call them the 12 apostles. So those will be tiny homes for a single occupancy, more of a longer-term residency. And then behind that, the plan is to build a monastery. And this will be for men that want to come out and commit their um, living community, ecclesial community, and with their ministry being that they will um, go back into prison as Catholic ministers, but also they'll help guys um, reintegrate into society. So that'll be their charism, that'll be their apostolate. Uh, and so that's what they'll, they'll be planning. So each one of those steps, um, you know, we got planned out. Now we just got to turn the turn the paper into into plans, and then the plans into uh, into housing, into reality. So, but so we're on our on our way. The big step was finding a property that would work, and it's just by the grace of God that someone said, "Hey, I've heard that what you're doing is good, and uh, let's let's make it happen." So uh, we got uh, uh, and, you know God's blessing this thing just. Hugely, at the Colby House. Uh, Colby House, we continue building. We're going to put up some more structures there. And then um, the hope is sometime, oh, sometime first of the year, we'll have our computer lab installed. And uh, also, the, the homeless outreach there is just nothing short of miraculous. We've got, uh, we served over over 300, uh, uh, 300 homeless uh, care packages, we call them, to people under the bridges you know, that are homeless on the street. And then we gave out, uh, uh, about a thousand pounds of clothing. And we do that every month. And it's the guys in the house that do it. So it's, it's their idea. And it's been just a wonderful blessing to, to everybody involved. And now we're getting more and more churches that want to help out, want to be participating in it. And so there, we get more and more. We give out more and more every, every month. So it's, uh, it's, uh, the, the Catholic Church, the community is working together to, to provide for our brothers in need.
0: Maria Bain of JMJ Press was our very special guest on September 29th.
8: Yes, I just launched JMJ Press and uh, the book, The Glory of God. So this is brand new.
1: don't you tell us about the book and what uh, inspired you to write it?
8: Well, um, I want to start with what inspired me. I have a great love for Jesus in the Eucharist. And I do a lot of my writing and praying, um, in adoration. And so this book actually came to me before the Blessed Sacrament, the entire book, um, with the beautiful illustrations. I was shown in my mind each page and how they were going to look like watercolor paintings. And so, um, I began, uh, I wrote the book and then I found a illustrator in Scotland. Uh, It took me a while because I was looking for someone who could actually make these beautiful watercolor paintings for me. And um, I had found this beautiful illustration that Dave Hill, my illustrator, had um, drawn. And uh, I got a hold of him, gave him a copy of uh, the manuscript and said, would you be interested in doing this? And he said yes. And he sent me all these religious illustrations. And I said, I'm so sorry. I don't mean to hurt your feelings, but I don't like those. I really love this one. And I can feel the love that you put into it. And that's what I want you to do with my illustrations. Well, it turns out the little girl in the illustration was his eight year old daughter with red hair. And she had leukemia, which I didn't know that I could just feel the love from that illustration. And so she's 30 now and she's in remission. But Dave did create these beautiful watercolor illustrations for me, um, and and you can feel the love of God in them. So I I'm really pleased about that. Wow! And then what a, um, what an inspiring <laughs> story. Thank you. And and as far as the book goes, it really came to me, and it wasn't until after writing it out because I I do a lot of writing before the Blessed Sacrament, but. It's really a sacramental preparation for children um, for their first sacraments of Holy Communion and Reconciliation. And it, it starts with the question from St. Irenaeus. Uh, well, it, it actually starts with, the glory of God as a human being fully alive. What does this mean? And it's Jesus in a classroom asking that question to the kids. And then throughout the book, it explains what that means and it explains how um each moment you have a choice to be in God's presence or to turn away from him and it gives them the examples of the beatitudes and the 10 commandments so that when they turn away from God or if they have a question they know it can be answered with the 10 commandments and the beatitudes and so it goes through and it talks about when your body's sick you see a doctor and when your soul is sick you go to the sacrament of penance and um, you receive healing there, and that it's really God um, in the confessional that is forgiving your sins. And it teaches them the act of contrition. It teaches them about uh, Jesus wiping away their sins. It talks about true contrition and starting over. And it has this beautiful illustration of Jesus um, in the divine mercy image, but coming out of the tabernacle. Because it's really God that's present in the Eucharist. And then it asks them questions like, Mom asked me to make the bed. Should I share my toys? Should I do my best at school and in my activities? What movies should I watch? What music should I listen to? And it tells them that all they have is the moment they're in. That's where they're face-to-face with God. And what choice are they going to make? Are they going to stay in Jesus' company or turn away from him? And, and then it reminds them that when they choose to be in Jesus's company, they're a reflection of God's glory because they're being who God created them to be. And then I have a, a examination of conscience for children in the book. And then my spiritual director, Bishop Gruce of Saginaw, Michigan, he wrote a little uh, – it's not a foreword because it's at the end of the book, but he wrote a little uh, – about the book and what he thought about the book, and he's actually in the illustration in the confessional when it's the priest, um, it's actually an illustration of Bishop Groose, my spiritual director. So it was really a beautiful book uh, that I really think is a love letter to the world from God because, one, he gave it to me before the Blessed Sacrament, and two, when I was going to launch JMJ Press and the um, glory of God a couple years ago, I ended up um, being sick and not knowing it. And so I have had 14 operations in the last two years. Mm -hmm. And so it's really quite a miracle of getting this out and having it come to um, being published. And then also it's so beautiful. It's a keepsake and it's hard back bound for children. And I feel like you know, it doesn't matter if you're a child or a grandparent or a godparent or a parent or an older child, like, you will get something out of this book. I I think it, it's, even though I have it for little children, every person would get something out of it.
1: Wow. And my guest is Maria Bain of JMJ Press, and she's talking about her book, Glory of God. We have a caller uh this is actually one of our radio show hosts called in. Terry uh Terry Delp, how are you doing this evening?
9: Oh pretty good, brother. I just got off of work and I, I figured I'd call in and see if y'all had a show going on.
1: We do. We have uh her name is Maria Bain and she's talking about her book the The Glory of God, uh which she says came to her in in its entirety uh in uh adoration and that, that doesn't surprise me at all uh stories like that um i i firmly believe and i firmly believe in the power of, of, of adoration what was the particular church uh, maria that that uh, you experienced this at
8: oh gosh that's a good question um i've moved around so much it actually was in uh, saint thomas aquinas uh parish in avondale uh arizona
1: Ladies and gentlemen, I cannot close this program without giving my heartfelt thanks to two of our members, Ken Litchfield and William Hemsworth. Of course, we support each other's work, and I'm glad to support everything that they do and promote everything that they do. And of course, William Hemsworth and Ken Litchfield have both been involved in uh, the apostolate uh, long before they joined the four persons. Uh, however, they have been very helpful to us, and both of them have been regular appearers on Gary Machado's show, Hands On Apologetics. And recently, Ken Litchfield uh, gave us a promotion on on um, on that show on the uh, Gary Machado Hands On Apologetics show. William Hemsworth has done the same, and I want to highlight. This is a real highlight for us because William Hemsworth actually appeared on EWTN in the Al Cresta time slot. Now, it so happened that Gary Machuto was guest hosting for Al Cresta, but this is a daily show on EWTN and it's heard worldwide and our own William Hemsworth was on there. And uh, I want to play a little bit of a highlight from that uh, episode, including where he, uh, he gave us a plug for which we are very appreciative.
10: Crest in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. from the studios of Ave Maria Radio in Ann Arbor, Michigan, Al Cresta is ready for conversations of consequence. This is Cresta in the Afternoon.
11: And welcome everybody to Cresta in the Afternoon, talking about the things that matter most. And no, I'm not Al Cresta. I'm Gary Machuda. Uh, humble servant, sitting in for the great El Cresta. Uh, Many of you might be familiar with my work in apologetics. I've written several books on apologetics, my latest one being The Gospel Truth, How We Can Know What Christ Taught, put out by Amazer Press, also uh, Revolt Against Reality, Hostile Witnesses, and such. I also host a program, Hands-On Apologetics, on Virgin Most Powerful Radio, and... um, I do guest spots every now and then, so I'm really pleased to be with you today. And we have fantastic two hours of crust in the afternoon to the Old Testament as we should. So we're going to have William Hemsworth with us who is a convert to the faith, and he's going to share with us where Christ is hidden in the Old Testament. So we got a great show in store for you today. But before we do that, let's go to today's headlines with Steve Clark
10: thanks Gary good afternoon everyone this is your Avi Maria radio news for
1: Friday September 29th it's the feast of the Archangels. so
10: those all those things are there all the great theologians of the past they made a lot of these connections for us our Bibles have those great those great cross references mm-hmm. like John 1 1 it'll link us to Genesis 1 and it'll right. talk about The similarities, if you have a good commentary. Um, So, like, the Ignatius Catholic Study Bible, it's a great resource that I've used. I know it's only the New Testament, but all the notes in there also refer back to the Old Testament, giving the Old Testament background of it. So I think that's a good source that's accessible to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Um, The Catechism has all those footnotes in there as well. If you come across the if you're reading the Catechism, you come across a Bible verse, especially when it comes to the Ten Commandments. Flip to the passages. Um, those are just some some ways to get started. But if you're just wanting to dive into the Old Testament, start with those cross references, and just have a good Catholic commentary by your side. And there's a lot of good ones out there.
11: Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Those great advice. Uh, you know, I think the cross references are the most neglected parts of Scripture. For anyone who wants to do a study or a deep dive in the scripture, take a couple of minutes look up those cross-references, not just when they're quoting the Old Testament, but when there's a reference, and, and it'll really bring to light uh, what Jesus is doing. Uh, we're coming up to the end of the segment, William, and I want to talk a little bit about your channel, William Hemsworth, our, uh, uh, Catholic, oh, the Bible Catholic, on YouTube. Right. Well, I I appreciate
10: it. I have a lot of great guests on there. I've had yourself on there, Dr. Scott Hahn. Hoping to get him on in the next couple weeks as well. I'm doing a lot of shorts because that seems to be the algorithm that YouTube is using right now. So right now I'm breaking up some of my old videos. But I also have a weekly show on the Four Persons Network called Burnt Toast and Coffee Show. And lately I've been going through every verse of the Didache, that ancient church document, and kind of linking that with my YouTube channel as well. That's what I've been up to.
11: All right. Well, thanks, William, for coming across in the afternoon. We appreciate it.
10: I appreciate it, Gary. Thank you very much. God bless.
11: All right. It's William Hemsworth. Uh, You're listening to Crust in the afternoon. We'll be right back right after this.
0: The Four persons The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So no God